0: You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor know your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, Know your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments, and all the law and the prophets. Let us turn to our Bibles, to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mark is the dynamic book of the Bible. Dr. Coppess wrote a little Bible study, introduction to Christianity in the book of Mark, and a couple of other ones, a little green book, book booklets, pamphlets, with questions, very easy questions for people who are new to the faith and use Mark. It's a short book, it's to-the-point book, it's the action book, as some people describe it as, short sentences and lots of action going on. And here we have, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14-15, to the beginning of Christ's ministry. Let us listen attentively To the word of God. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let us pray. We read, Lord, in these words, the simple call of salvation. We read, God, the simple call of repentance from sin and belief or trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior the good news of the gospel for those who know of the bad news of their sin. Help us, God, to be encouraged by this, by the simple call of the gospel. It's nothing more complicated than this in many ways. In the name of the Lord we pray. Amen. So a few weeks ago, it's over a month ago now, I started the Basics of the Faith sermon series, which is not to say I'm covering everything. If I were to do that, we would go through Bible, because that's the basics. We, that is, these are things you should learn and keep growing and grow thereby. We shouldn't say, Well, you know, because we have the basics or what was debate hundred years ago, the fundamentals of the faith, 120 years ago, and say, We don't need to learn this. We don't need to know this in the Bible, because it wasn't in that list. So don't we'll take it that way. But these are highlights and key points that we should be aware of, especially in the day and age in which we find ourselves in. I first talked about the Bible, the God breathed book for his church. And then I went over the Trinity, a three part series on God, who God is, and the members of the Trinity. And here we are in part two of salvation. Salvation is from first to last, the work of God, as we saw last week. The Father selects from eternity past, the Son saves on the cross, and the Spirit seals your heart, as we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Wonderfully outlined very clearly by Paul there. Each member of the Trinity, having a different function there and divided to the praise of His glorious grace in each section. A doxology is called a theology of praise. But none of this means there is no gospel, right? You read there about God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit and their work, and you ask, what about us? What about man? Where's the gospel? Where's the good news? The call to the world, and there is one. The Great Commission, as we know, makes clear these things that Jesus Christ gave to the New Testament church. And so does the fact that we are called to repent and believe in order to be saved. The fact that salvation is first to last of God means that this call to the heart of God's people is part of His work. In particular, the Spirit applies and seals to our heart with regeneration, regeneration or being born again is the renewal of our mind, our will, and our emotions from sin and sinfulness towards Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And when we do that consciously, that's called conversion. And that entails repentance and faith. Regeneration is an invisible act of the Holy Spirit. We read that in John 3. Talking to Nicodemus, don't you know, as a leader of God's people, all you had is the Old Testament. It's all you needed to know that the Spirit moves where He wills. To be born again is an Old Testament doctrine. The language there, of course, in the Old Testament was a hardened heart made fleshly or responsive to God or given a new heart in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. That's regeneration. That's being born again. An infant could be regenerated. A small little child could be regenerated. And you won't fully see what the fruits of that are until they open their mouth and say, I believe Jesus. I repent. You need to do that. That pro- that will ha- that has to happen as you get older and as you're aware. That's what we call that conversion, where you're consciously aware of what you are doing. You're repenting and fleeing from your sin and trusting in Christ. But what does that mean? What does that look like? What is that? To be saved is an act of God. Yes, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each doing their respective roles. Select, to save, and to seal. But specifically in the Holy Spirit's act of sealing, that includes also regeneration, being born again, being responsive and saying, yes, I believe. I hate my sins. And we're going to see what this entails, what this is. So although it's all of God, it doesn't mean you don't do anything. It's just that what you do is still a gift of God. God doesn't believe for you. God doesn't repent for you. But you are given the gift of repentance and belief. And when you are given that gift because you are born again, you will exercise it like a child. Being born can't help but breathe. They're not going to sit there and go, you know, have I decided to breathe or not? Am I going to exercise my will to breathe? Well, the baby just breathes. And so it is with being born again. You will repent and you will believe. The first point, repentance from sin. Repentance from sin. This is the, the preaching of the Old Testament, clearly. And Christ is the great prophet, as we saw in Deuteronomy Well, Wednesday night, if you were there Wednesday night. And elsewhere, where Christ is prophesied as the great prophet to come, in which he will bring his people to full salvation. And so Christ is exercising the office of prophet here, in particular, of preaching the gospel, that is the word good news, to the lost and dying kingdom of God, to repent and believe. Repent, what is that? Well, I think one way to understand what something is, is by understanding what something is not or contrasting it with confusion or error. What repentance is not, it is not feeling bad. Although you could feel bad, and often do feel bad, but it cannot be reduced simply to feeling bad. It is not saying you're sorry, although you may say you're sorry, and that's fine and dandy, but that is not all there is to repentance. And It is not tears, although you may cry. You don't have to cry if you're repentant. Don't confuse the outward manifestation with the inward reality. It is more. It is not apologizing because your hand got caught in the cookie jar. I like to use that illustration where you can d- tell the difference between a person, a child, who is sorry for disobeying their parents, as opposed to a child who's sorry for being caught. Getting caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Oops, I better, I'll do better next time. Wink, wink, right? I want to make sure I won't get caught. That's not the kind of repentance we speak of here. Apologizing, tears, saying you're sorry, feeling bad and miserable. These may accompany repentance to one degree or another in different outward forms, but they are not to be confused with repentance. There's a difference between getting your hand caught in the cookie jar and feeling sorry for it, for being caught, or of course, hating the fact that you did it in the first place. Feeling conviction. I shouldn't have done this in the first place. I was disobedient. And I deserve the punishment I have. And I hate my sin. Obviously. We know many people, perhaps you were one of those when you were younger, or even older in life. I know some people who were saved older in life, and for many, many years they were stubborn, and they didn't like being caught in their sins. And they seemed very repentant, but we know they weren't, because, as we'll cover It wasn't a change of mind. That's what the word means there and here. The basic definition is a change of mind. Oh, this is acceptable. It's okay to steal, to cheat, to lie, to murder, to hate. I think these are okay things. In my case, maybe not here, and so you have all these rationales and very subtle ways and whole world philosophies, right, to get around sins and rationalize it make it feel comfortable for your conscience. Repentance says, that's wrong. I, I Nope, this is the right thing. I've changed my mind. I've changed the way I've thought about sin. This is sin, what I thought was never sin before. That's where it starts. And it sounds so anticlimactic, right? That's it? You just change your mind? Yeah. In one sense, John the Baptist, or the baptizer, I like to say, reminds us in Matthew 3.8, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. So it starts with the mind, but it ends with the hands. So it starts with the head. I've got to be a pastor. I've got to have my two H's. It starts with the head and ends with the hands and your feet. You have to have fruits of repentance. Not perfect fruit. It may be fruit that you don't fully see. You know your heart. You know what you struggle with. The rest of us can only judge the fruit. It's a change of mind leading to a change of behavior. It's a more expanded definition. Uh, But we can't put a lot of weight on that because, again, we see someone like Lot We say, what kind of change of behavior did he have? He had some change. I mean, he believed in God and he did some godly things. They also did some ungodly things, and so did David. And this is why it can't be reduced to feeling bad, saying you're sorry, or tears. These may be part of it, but it starts with you here, I don't read your heart. God does. And says, I've changed my mind. This is this is wrong. I shouldn't do this. That's where it starts. The fruit may be very small. The fruit may take very much long time and the like. Uh, don't worry about it. Keep, keep trying. We'll, we'll cover that in sanctification. What is the nature of repentance? So that's some of the word. That's some of the basic idea there. And I want to unpack more of a theological understanding given all the texts of the Bible. This is what a good approach to the bible does it doesn't say well here's a bible verse oh he says repent and the word repent means change your mind we're done no you find all the words and all the passages that deal with repentance even if the word repentance is in there but the idea of repentance is there is there that's how language works that's how books work if you're going to figure out what does shakespeare believe about repentance you would find every text he talks about repentance have act you know act five has a The king repenting, although the word repentance is in there. You do the same thing with the Bible, because it's a human book that way. God gave us a human book, because we're human. It's also divine. We learn divine truth through these human words. So, our forefathers put together a definition for you. Repentance. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, right? Saving grace comes from God, unmerited favor, whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin, not a false sense, not the wrong understanding of what sin is, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, sin in Christ, does, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with the full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. It's a mouthful. I'm not going to go through all of that. But the long and short of it is, is a change of mind Hatred of sin leading to and endeavoring after new obedience. Not that you will accomplish it. Ezekiel thirty-six thirty-one, we read, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. God prophesies there. And they do, that's what repentance does. Repentance acknowledges and hates sin. Not just the consequence of sin. You shouldn't like the consequences, that's sure. And the consequences should be a fear. It's not ungodly and unchristian to be fearful of the consequences. God uses sticks, as well as carrots. But it should always include the hatred of the act itself. The loathing of it. And that it's against God's holiness and God's law. Psalm 51 4. In Psalm 51.4 we read, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you will be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He's not saying none of his sins are against his neighbor, but rather his sins are primarily against God. Even when you sin against your neighbor, who you are you sinning against? God, because God tells you not to sin against your neighbor. It's Like your parents say, you know, don't bother the neighbor's dog. And you bother the neighbor's dog and you say, well, it's just between me and the dog. No, you disobeyed your parents too. (laughs) You just compounded the problem. And so the nature of sin is from God. It's out of a true sense of sin. It apprehends God in Christ and His mercy and hates sin and endeavors after a new life of obedience. It grieves and hates sin. To unpack a little more there. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. He tells us. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Here in the Old Testament, we already knew this. Again, many Christians, and maybe it's my background, and so I'm especially sensitive to this. I grew up thinking the Old Testament religion was different than the New Testament religion. The Jews had something different than the New Testament Christians. And theirs theirs was an outward form of religion. And yet, here we read, God says, rend your hearts, not just your garments. The outward expression should be there to one degree or another. At least the words, I was wrong. But it's always in the heart. You must rend your heart because you hate the sin. And you purpose and endeavor to walk by his commands. We especially need to highlight, so I didn't unpack the fullness of that definition of the larger catechism of repentance. But in our day and age, we need to hear the hatefulness, the hatred, excuse me, of sin and grieving against sin. There's a lot of downplaying of sin, even in the church. You play around with it, make excuses for it. You want to be winsome about it. Christ came to preach repentance. People always want to talk about it because it's, I like it too, all the good news that Christ came to say, but he spoke a lot about judgment and sin. And this is his first call of the gospels repent. Flee your sin. Flee your wickedness. Flee the wrong way of looking at the world, the thinking and doing, of course, that comes from the thinking. And to purpose and endeavor to walk by his command. So two of the weaknesses I see in my experience is downplaying and not saying enough that part of repentance involves hatred of sin. That word hate, to loathe, to despise. Not like, well, you know, I guess it's not really a good thing.
1: Right. Really?
0: You know that. There's a number of sins I don't even want to list because now the, the sins I would have listed are so public now and accepted and legalized, they're not shock value anymore. So make it even worse. You're like, I, I, would, I would loathe that if that happened to me or my family or my child. Hatred has a place in the Christian life. Don't let the liberals tell you otherwise. But it's hatred of sin and the devil. Oh, how I love that law and I hate the way of wickedness. That's part of repentance. And the other error, purposing and endeavoring to walk by his commands. Oh, we're all sinners. Yes, yes, we all are sinners. And your point being what? You just give up and no longer go to church, no longer read your Bible, no longer work? So again, you see it used in the license of our society that's blood into the church, license to sin and make excuses or antinomianism of one degree or another, anti against God's law, nomos. 2 Corinthians 7 11. This is quite interesting here. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, where Paul unpacks the idea of repentance. A lot of beautiful metaphor. For observe this very thing. He's speaking to the church of Corinth, which is in Turkey, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Good. What diligence it produced in you? Oh, that's interesting. With diligence, what? Diligence, hard work, right? Effort. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. Probably indignation against the sin, against themselves perhaps, uh, against those who manipulated them towards sin, whatever. What fear, godly fear. What vehement desire, presumably to do the right thing. What zeal, another word there. What vindication, and all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Wow. That's quite a list. When you're fighting sin and you repent against sin, don't give up, keep fighting sin. They didn't give up. He didn't say you're perfect. Oh, you're perfect now. You don't have to worry anymore. You're going straight to heaven. You're all saints, right? No, but that there was a real endeavoring in their lives, a real vindication, a real indignation against sin. A purposing and endeavoring, as the catechism says, to walk by His commands. It's not emphasizing, and I think properly, the completion of that, because you're gonna stumble. The righteous man falls six times but gets up the seventh time. He can't help but persevere because of the spirit within him. Now, you already heard it several times. Where does this repentance come from? Well, it comes from you, right? You repent. Yeah, I may repent, but I also think. I also use my brain, but where do my brain come from? God. God, in his providence, developed it, was part of his plan. Came from the parents, yes, that's the immediate cause, but the ultimate cause is God. We thank Him for the brain He gave you, for the body He gave you. And so repentance is the same thing in the chain of events, the moral events in this case, in our lives. It is a gift from Him uh, more directly than the brain in that sense, because it comes from the Holy Spirit upon us. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 1 3. This is the general proposition. In Ephesians 1 3, which has lots of good information here. I mentioned this before. If you want to talk about salvation, go to Ephesians. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Talks about the Trinity, talks about repentance, talks about blessings, it talks about faith. Who, that is God, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Is repentance a spiritual blessing? Yes or no? Therefore, what? It is from God. Because God has given us every spiritual blessing. I mean, that you guys did some theology there. See that? It's called a syllogism. I'm not mocking you. This is dead serious. You did some theology. Paul has done this. Christ has done this. He gives you a major premise, a minor premise, and a conclusion and draws something that is binding theologically upon us. I've gone over that Sunday school class. I won't go further than that, but you see here what I'm doing with the text. Drawing a logical inference. Unless you can prove elsewhere in the Bible... That when he says every spiritual blessing, he means everything but repentance. Proposition holds true. And in fact, you have all the other verses that argue the other way. I'm only giving you some of them. 2 Timothy 2.25, for example. 2 Timothy 2.25 for repentance. What is repentance? come? What is its ultimate source? Is it native in the fallen man? Of course not. Or he wouldn't be fully fallen. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. He is calling the pastor in humility to correct those who are in opposition. Opposition to God and the gospel, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. Wow. If perhaps God will grant them repentance. And so he the pastor exhorts and urges those who are stubborn and resisting the gospel call. Not on the basis that he knows they are elect, but on the basis that God elects. God has the power to change hearts and maybe God will change their heart. You don't know till you try. Thus shutting the mouth of all the complaints against predestination. So that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. So you see what repentance does. One of the fruits of repentance is, is you know the truth. You change your mind about the truth. Before you hated it, now you embrace it, right? That's Repentance and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. And of course, what you should repent of is, I don't think I need to belabor that, it's obviously all the sins. Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, the Confession says, Catechism, but is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. And we have a big problem with that in our society. But we're called to repent for everyone else's sin a hundred years ago, for example. Repent of particular sins particularly. I have enough of those, thank you very much. Without having a burden of our conscience. Again, affecting the church. Pastor, don't talk about politics. Sorry, the politics is talking about us. You live in this you live in America. I'm trying to protect your conscience. I guess people one of the dangers, of course, is people repent of vague sins or remote sins. Hey, I repent for my forefathers. What about your own sins? People play lots of games of repentance. It sounds good, but has little concrete action behind it. That's why we talk about fruits of repentance. That is What is, what is the effect? What are you going to do? You steal money? Now what? You give it back, right? <laughs> you give back the money. Some things you can't have restoration for. It's just the nature of living in a fallen world. That's why I preached on that. On justice, that we realize you cannot get perfect justice this side of eternity. So that's repentance. The hatred of sin, changing of your mind with respect to sin in the gospel, and endeavoring towards a new life of obedience. That's the call of Christ Jesus. And then believe the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel, Christ tells the whole world. What belief is not. It is not merely thinking about God, or what they call a historical faith. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. In fact, even the Philistines believe, and they tremble. We saw that in First Samuel, right? Chapter 4. When they got the ark out, oh no, the Philistines found out. They got the ark, what's going to happen? The God who brought them out of Egypt, who destroyed the Egyptian gods, is coming after us. They believe in gods. They believe in this God, or at least it was some kind of God, even if they had a twisted view of who this God was. In that perspective, they're more faithful than the atheists, right? <laughs> they just said there are no gods. They believe, they tremble, the demons believe, they tremble. That is, yes, there's a God, but he's not my God. Faith says he is my God, he is my Lord, he is my Savior. That's the difference. So it's a historical faith in the sense that God is just another fact in history. That I'm not really interested in. But repentance, of course, from sin and trust is trust in Christ and no one else. Not that He exists, but that He exists, and I believe that He exists, that that He does for me and saves me. There's also a miraculous faith, that's not what real faith is, that is a faith that is temporary and is excited because of the good things that happen from being around Christians. The closest today we have rice Christianity, they had it in the Asian um, missionary works that we had in Korea and the like, where you had lots and lots of converts because the churches were giving out free food. Imagine that. In my experience, the American churches haven't, many of them haven't learned that example, unfortunately. The OPC learned that early on. Preach. Preach. While the miraculous faith is, you hear the miracle and you say, this is wonderful, I'll follow Jesus, what else can I get from Jesus? That's it. There's no faith, as we understand faith. John 2.23 is quite interesting here. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, that is Christ, at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. They saw the miracles. The word sign is a unique usage of the word there to emphasize signs and miracles and wonders. Right? Christ had these things. They see Him. Wow, this is great! Free food. Free miracles. People got their body healed. This is wonderful. They believed when they saw the signs that He did, but Jesus did not commit Himself to them. I thought if you believe, Jesus is going to save you. What's going on here? Obviously this is not the same kind of belief, is it? The word faith is used here. They believed, But Christ because he knew all men, it says, and had no need anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew that faith was not a faith of trusting in Jesus for their sins, but a miraculous faith. That is, we only believe because we're getting goodies. We're seeing wonderful things. What belief is? Short of Catechism, question 86, gives us a nice summary. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace, Again, saving grace that comes from God, whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the gospel. That is, you trust in Jesus Christ as He's offered to you in the gospel. You have to say in the gospel because people bring up false Christ and false gospels and want you to believe in them. Or, summarized elsewhere, resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. Trust and reliance upon him that he will save me in spite of my sins. Not because of my perfection. Again, it's a gift from God, Ephesians one three. Every good gift, every gift, heavenly gift is given to us from God the Father. Is repent is faith a blessed gift? Yes, a blessing from God. It is a blessing from God. And therefore a gift from God ephesians 2 8 is another passage for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it died it may be the battery yep it's the battery there's batteries right there okay I'll get it it well yeah because that's how batteries work when they're dying right uh, it will have a burst for a bit and then we'll die and this hasn't been let's see if the battery work. This thing is very tight. I don't know if this is a good battery or not. Yeah, I got one one line, I can do it. Ephesians two eight for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of worksless any one should boast. Christ is the object of our faith. And not just Christ, but Christ as Lord and Savior. not just Christ as Lord and Savior, but Christ as Lord and Savior who lived and died for you. And the faith isn't just Christ. It's all that Christ brings with him, right? It's not like, oh, you believe in Christ, but not in the Bible. Oh, you believe in Christ, but not in the Holy Spirit. What? So although he may be the immediate object of your conscious faith when you convert... 12 or 13 or 25 or 80. You know, everything else comes with it. And that salvation, faith is a gift of God. Salvation
1: is a gift of God.
0: Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Someone want to argue that that, right, is pointing to salvation. The salvation is not of yourself. Okay, is faith part of salvation? Yes. Of yourself, salvation is from God. To conclude the matter, from eternity past, two thousand years ago, to here and now, the Father selecting, the Son saving, and the Holy Spirit saving, and the Holy Spirit coming along, preaching to us, Christ preaching, sending preachers and ministers, and maybe yourself and a Bible and a book. Repentance and faith, repentance of faith, are gifts from God. Repent from sin, to hate sin to trust and believe in Jesus Christ who lived and died for you, then it's nothing more complicated than that. That's the good news. The good news is you, your works won't save you. And that is good news because you realize your works are weak. <laughs> uh, they have sin in them. Uh, they are not perfect. You'd have to play around with God's law and say, well, God's grading on a curve. And some religions do that. Which is to say God's not as holy as we thought he was. Sorry. He's not as just as we thought he was. Holiness and justice go together. But a thousand times no, brothers and sisters. Rather, we are called to repent and believe. And that's all God requires of us in the sense of you, you got to do it. But we know it's God's gift. We can't even boast in that. We can't even boast in that. And so salvation, that is all from God. Repentance and belief from God. Believing Jesus Christ is not magic. Don't let the world, the flesh, and the devil tell you otherwise. Don't let your feelings of weakness or sins hold you back. If you believe he lived and died for you, and you, repent of your sins. You are saved. And if you are saved, you want to do the things that God tells you to do. If you are saved, you want to do the things that God tells you to do, and that means you're going to want to be baptized, so you find a local church and grow thereby. If you have not, I urge you to repent and believe today. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we gather before you this evening, this morning, we thank you, God, for your Word. We thank you, Lord, for the good news that includes repentance, that this call that you hate your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ, that He lived and died for you in your place, as we'll hear next week. This is the good news, God. Not that we believe enough, not that we repent enough. As such, we don't focus upon ourselves and repentance and upon, in our, in our faith. And not that we obey enough, Lord, or baptize enough. But rather, God, Jesus is enough for us. Help us, Lord, to continue to live this life, to believe these things, and to repent and believe daily. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us stand and sing 130B, 130B.
1: Lord and on his word my hope relies my soul still waits and looks unto the Lord till light arise I look for him to drive away my night yes more than watchmen look for mornings in the Lord, your waiting saints, and he will provide for mercy and redemption, full and free, with him abide. From sin and evil, mighty though they seem, his arm, almighty, will his saints redeem.
0: In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.